Hey church, welcome. It's an online worship service. Hope you're doing great. I know that a lot of people are still struggling. Maybe you feel like you're just slogging through it, fighting a war day to day. Some of you watching this have even maybe fought in a war. So even when I say that, you laugh with the memory of what warfare was actually like. Uh, For the Christian, uh, as we kind of push through challenging seasons, and I, I feel like we're still just in this challenging season where everything's still rearranging and resettling itself and work has changed and family life and school, all this stuff has changed. We are feeling it in our family as things kind of grind back to normal. But as a Christian, we are fighting a different kind of battle. From 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. I'm going to get in the light here. For though we walk in flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. The battles that we face are spiritual battles, and our victory is won in Jesus Christ. He has fought it. He has won it. We're coming into Easter. We're going to celebrate that. Let's sing about it. Here we go. Shine in the 
the shadows You win every battle Nothing can stand against the power of our God Almighty fortress You go before us Nothing can stand against the power of our God You shine in the shadows
family. Hello. It is great to see you. Happy March Madness. Yes, the weekend has come. The greatest weekend of the entire year, at least for sports. It is here. Get excited. So, hi, I'm Josh. I have a couple of announcements for you and I uh, wanted to let you know about a couple of things that are going on here in the church this week. First of all, if there's anything that we could be praying for, we would love to pray for you this week. Please text those prayer requests over to 97,000. You could even do it right now. That'd be great. So, Easter is right around the corner. This upcoming Saturday, we have our Easter extravaganza for the kiddos at 9.30 a.m. There's going to be live animals on campus. I don't know if that's a draw or not, but they'll be here regardless. And uh, an Easter egg hunt, it's going to be a good time. Come and check that out. Bring your kiddos over. It's going to be a great time. Then the following week is Easter weekend. Good Friday service we have at 7 o'clock. That's on 
Friday. And then on Sunday, on Sunday, we have our Easter services at 8.30, 10 a.m. and 11.30. We would love to see you out for that. And to let you know how much we would love to see you out for that, we, Chris and I have put together a video, which you will get to see next week. So teaser, definitely do not miss next week. We're excited to see, uh, we're excited for you guys to see that ridiculousness. Hey, speaking of Easter weekend and the things that I just talked about, we're in need of some volunteers. We're in need of volunteers for the extravaganza for Good Friday and for the Easter morning services. If you're interested in pitching in and lending a hand, we'd love to have you for that. Please contact Stephanie. She would love to get you signed up for anything that you would be interested in doing. Finally, thank you so much for your continued generosity. You can give online, mail in a check, however you want to do it is great with us. Hey, Pastor Scott is back and he's ready to go. Here he is. Well, thanks, Josh. And uh, thank you, worship team, for leading us uh, today. And uh, thank you again for being a part of our online services each week. We're grateful for your commitment to that. Hopefully they continue to be a blessing uh, to you. Oh, as you know, continuing to work our way through the book of John, we're all the way to John chapter 18 here today. And man, as I was going through that, the thing that kept coming to mind is this idea of just a really bad day. When I say that, what comes to mind for you? I'm not, I'm not talking about just watching the Dodgers lose a game or a, or a sporting event. I'm talking about one of those days that you realize when it's happening, you'll remember it for the rest of your life. One of those just really difficult days. I remember some years back, actually two or three back, my cousin, uh, his uh, oldest son uh, was in a motorcycle accident. I remember being in uh, the room with him as his uh, son was on uh, life support and just, you could almost feel the, the pain in that room, like you could cut it like with a knife. I was thinking about that. Those are the type of days maybe you bring to mind something like that. And if you have been through that, my prayer is for you. And I'm so sorry that you've been through that. I know one of the things that happens on the other side of that is you feel like, man, it just doesn't seem like anybody could ever understand what I've been through, what I've gone through in the middle of this. But I'm so thankful when I go through this passage and do different texts as we lead up to the Holy Week, different sections of scripture, you start to realize that we have a high priest, somebody that can sympathize with us. Isaiah 53, you're probably familiar with this, says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Acquainted with grief captures my thought. I don't know if you're annoyed like I am with the consistency of those crazy state farm commercials that are like every third commercial. One of the things though I agree with what they always say is they say, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. And that's so true in our life is after you've been through something, you can empathize or sympathize with somebody else that's going through it. And then when I look at our text today, I think of our Savior that went through so much, even prior to the crucifixion, even prior to the cross, just the, the, the whole mental uh, experience of betrayal. And so today I'm not trying to intend to wallow in our sorrows here in the text, but I do think it's important to go back and look at what Jesus experienced so that we have a better understanding of how deeply he loves us, that he'd be willing to go through all the mental anguish. So we're gonna go through kind of four different scenes in this uh, passage of him experiencing things that allows him to walk with us 
through even the most miserable of days. Let me pray just before we dive into this section. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to be together even online and a chance to gather around your word. And I thank you for the faithful folks that continue to study your word each week with us. I pray that this time would be a blessing to them. And even for some of us that are in a great season of life and not going through anything negative, that this might even be a tool that they put in their tool belt as they consider the suffering that Jesus went through because he's so crazy in love with us. We pray now that you'd meet us in this time. We invite that. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So starting in John chapter 18, verse one, talking about Jesus as it's leading up to his betrayal and uh, his ultimate uh, death on the cross. This starts with the time after the last supper. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook of Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. We'll pause there for a little bit of explanation as I think through different components of the stuff that he went through. This is the idea of a a friend betraying him. It was probably a pretty miserable experience. You notice though, when they first arrive there to arrest Jesus, that he doesn't try to to hide or, or to avoid the rest. It says that he came forward when they showed up. Describes this band of soldiers, and you do a little research in that. Another word that's used is cohort, which would be anywhere between 380 and 800 soldiers. So this wasn't just a little, this, this was overkill. Like this was the, a huge gathering of force trying to bring Jesus in, if you will. And all of these men would be carefully trained soldiers that weren't accustomed to stumbling in the middle of an intense situation. But you notice there in the text, and this is one of my favorite parts of the betrayal story, not that there's a lot of good parts, but a pretty awesome display of Jesus's power and when he responds and when he identifies himself, it's the refer the reference that we've seen throughout the book of John. He refers to himself. He says, I am he. Another I am statement that literally through this group of soldiers, imagine hundreds of them can, can all together being thrown back on their butts. That would be something they would never, ever forget. Here we see really a a powerful demonstration that once again of the deity of Jesus. It was another opportunity for his audience to be like, whoa, there's something different about this man. Revelations 19, 21 tells us that when he executes judgment on his enemies, says by the sword that comes from his mouth, there's power in the word of God. That's why we gather around it. That's why we study it each week showing us and demonstrating to these soldiers that if he didn't want to be taken in that moment, 
There was nothing they could do to have stopped it. They, they, could, they, they, had, they were no match, even with 380 to 800 soldiers, no match for the power of the word of God, the word of God that spoke things into existence. But it tells us something about the power that he has. It really shows what it must have took to restrain that. Shows us that he went willingly. He wasn't caught off guard. It's one thing to be caught off guard and be like, man, I got stuck in this situation. I couldn't do anything about it. But instead, he was fully able to do something about it, but chose not to because he was on a mission. He had a purpose. See, in the text, it's kind of a sad account when we're told that Judas, and I think it's interesting their verbiage there, says Judas was standing with them. In other words, he was, had chosen his allegiance. He had chosen which route he was going to go. I can't imagine the hurt that that must have felt like as you think about the mental anguish prior to the cross that Jesus would have gone through. Having somebody that he had spent the last three years investing in, spending with them every single day, having that person turn on you. I have maybe just one person say something negative about me and I stew on it for days. I can't imagine to have somebody close like that, what that would have felt like, what that experience would have been like. But here, a couple verses later, as the ambitious disciples start pulling out their swords in response to this, and Peter uh, takes some initiative, Jesus slows things down. In verse 11, he tells them to put away their swords and he tells them the reason why. Tells them the reason why, because he's chosen to drink the cup. He's chosen to drink the cup. In other words, he knows, he knew beforehand all of this would happen. He says, I'm going to take it because I have such a crazy love for you people. You see, the betrayal gets even worse when it's an even closer friend. I don't know which is worse, betrayal or denial. We're about to see in verse 15, Simon Peter falling, just like Jesus had predicted, says Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. That's how John always refers to himself. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So, so the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servant officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. We'll pause there for a moment. I remember when my youngest daughter, Sienna, was uh, just a little girl. I would have some fun with her, and I'd say after she'd do something silly, I'd say, Sienna, stop acting like a three-year-old. And she's like, but dad, I am three years old. She wasn't confused by that because there's, there's certain expectations, whether it's expectations on somebody that's a certain age, how their behavior should act, but there's also expectations of somebody that you've been friends with a long time, somebody that you've invested in, somebody that you've poured into, you would think that they would be with you through thick and thin. It's hard to watch, really, if you think about it, the collapse of Peter 
If there's any person, he was the most vocal out of the disciples. If you were a betting person, he's the one that you would have said, he might actually stand up for Jesus when the time came. But instead, he denies even knowing Jesus to who? To a little servant girl. To a little servant girl. You got to ask some questions there. What's, What's going on that would cause him to deny Jesus to a servant girl? How is that at all attached to fear? I think it's important to consider where Peter is at. He's in the courtyard of the high priest. See, the current high priest of the time was named Caiaphas. However, he was only in that position because his father-in-law, Annas, had been removed from the position by the Romans. And Annas, but Annas was still referred to as the high priest. That's who they're referring to right now being in his courtyard like a former president is still referred to as with that title. Annas was still, for all intents and purposes, the most powerful person or figure in Jewish in the Jewish hierarchy of leadership. That's why they're there. He's the first stop that they bring him to the real leader of that time. He was really known for being the one that profited the most from the money exchange of the the clean animal system, the changing of currency in the temple, he cashed in majorly. In fact, he was so notorious for his greed, the temple area where the money was exchanged was actually known as the Bazaar of Annas. So it was actually titled after him. But even with no formal authority, he was holding court for Jesus. Pretty sad display of even the broken system they had then. He was probably, if you think about it, pretty irritated with Jesus even before he arrived there. You think about it, just a few days prior, he had turned over all the money tables in the temple court, I'm sure had cost him a lot of business and a lot of money. So he's showing up probably pretty agitated. But what Peter understood is Peter understood if he himself was associated with Jesus, whether it was in front of Caiaphas or Annas, either way, he could have his life on the line. This was a serious situation. So just as Jesus predicted, Peter caved under pressure. You ever wonder, I know I kind of go there with my mind sometimes. I wonder like, if I was in that situation, how would I have done? Have you guys ever done that before? Like, would I be able to stand up? Would I defend the name of Jesus? Here's the reality. And this is a lesson that Peter had to learn the hard way. Is if you're asking the question, could I do it? Could I stand up? The answer is always no. The better question is, Could I do it in the strength and power of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. But Peter had to learn this hard lesson about trying to do things in your own strength. That's a pretty serious crossroad of understanding that self-confidence isn't going to get you there. Most of us, if we're honest though, are likely not going to have one of those life and death crossroads. However, we have daily many crossroads as to whether or not we deny or embrace Jesus Christ through our actions, whether we proclaim him with the things that we do in our interactions. Find it interesting that Peter 
was ready for the big thing. He was ready to draw his sword and go to battle. What he wasn't ready for, he wasn't expecting the sneak attack of this little servant girl. That's so often that what we should learn about the battle with our enemy. It doesn't necessarily come in the big things. It's the behind the scenes things. It's the little stuff. It's the battle that lies behind the scenes. Whether it's a conversation with your coworker where you're tempted to exaggerate something, whether it's something, time when it's, you're turning in your taxes and whether or not you're gonna be clear and honest with those, whether it's the entertainment selection you have with your family or even when you're alone, those are where the true battles actually lie. We see, though, as this story kind of moves forward, that Jesus actually comes out. It's interesting to piece together the different accounts. Luke twenty-two sixty-one says that when Jesus passed by, he says the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine? I wonder if Jesus, because he was just in the courtyard outside of where he's meeting with Annas, I wonder if Jesus actually with his physical ears could hear his denials if you could hear what he was saying outside by the fire, if that was something that was piercing to Jesus, you always wonder how someone would respond to that level of betrayal. We're told in the account from Matthew that when, G when Peter realized that he had betrayed Jesus the third time, says that he wept bitterly, wept bitterly. Just the, the remorse. I wonder though, when was the last time we wept over our sins. That's when Jesus has something to work with, when he's like, no longer is he depending on his strength. Now I have something I can do. And that's where Jesus was able to turn Peter into the rock in which he would build his church after he was broken and realized that self wasn't going to get you there. So we see the first thing in Jesus' really bad day, the, the cup that he drunk from was friends betraying him and also denying him. We'll continue in the text. Verse 19 says, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Having no idea he was the high priest. Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest." We'll stop there. This is really an intense interaction. You think about this for a moment, what was happening. Maybe you can bring to mind somebody in your own life that had, had a spiritual influence, somebody that you really elevated a, a, in, a, in a high place that you thought highly of. They, they invested in you over the years. You imagine Jesus, all of these religious leaders were people when, when Jesus was growing up that he would have been in the temple listening to them teach, hearing them reading God's word. And now they have this irrational hatred of him. They absolutely despise Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had that before with somebody that just has an irrational dislike of you. I, I remember some years back, actually, uh, when we were in 
moving from Ohio to Chicago. I moved to a, a school there and I had this kid, his name was Frank March. I don't know if I'm able to say his full name on video here, but this kid could not stand me. I'm like, could not figure out what I had ever done to him. But every single day, there's some kind of a conflict with him, wanting to fight, stay after school, whatever it was. This kid just despised me. Get a little bit of taste of that. He just didn't like me. Imagine having people that were respected by all of your peers, despising you to the point that they wanted to see you dead. Remember earlier in our study in the book of John in chapter 11, verse 53, it says, from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. So this court gathering, really, when he's standing before him, there's no intent, there's no desire to get to the, the truth or the bottom of things. There's no determining innocence or guilt. Notice what Jesus does in this interaction. I th read through a couple different commentators that pointed out this fact, this, this idea that he keeps pushing them, keeps pushing to actually go the appropriate process where they find people that are making accusations, get eyewitnesses, and bring the different things out from what has been said. And he keeps saying, well, where you've, I've said all of these things in public. Well, go, go find witnesses. He's actually, in a sense, asking for a fair trial. Because just like today, you would have things that are brought against you, and then you'd have a chance to defend yourself. But like I mentioned, this wasn't about that. This was an irrational hatred of Jesus. They weren't gathering witness. There's no justice there. This was part of the cup that Jesus was willing to drink because he's so crazy about us. It progresses. You see a, a number of verses later, we see a, a little bit of it going then before Caiaphas. Nothing really happens there. So it moves in verse 33, ultimately to the one that would make a decision about this before Pilate. It says, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own account or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? This interaction, you imagine the amount of self-control and restraint that was necessary. First off, the trial, as I mentioned, has elevated the place that now it's going before Pilate. Pilate would be the, the governor of that region during this time. And here's the interesting thing about leadership is so often leadership goes to somebody's head where they think they're a little big for their britches. And that's the case here. That's, you can sense the, the tone as Pilate's asking him questions. Are you the king of the Jews? You can almost sense the sarcasm in it. He's asking that because in other words, if so, why are they turning you over to be killed if you're actually the king? Again, he repeats it. So you are the king? Imagine almost a chuckle in his tone of voice. I was thinking about that this week as Jesus is taking this kind of verbal abuse, imagining that Jesus at the same time that he's asking these questions, Jesus 
is sustaining the life of this judge. He's keeping his heart beating. He's keeping his lungs sucking in air. He's keeping blood flowing through his veins. He's keeping his very existence pulled together. Imagine what kind of restraint that would take with this cocky judge to not respond in in a display of power. But instead, he doesn't dabble in any of the human politics. He's not concerned. Here's the thing that you see in this section. He's not really concerned about earthly kingdoms. I was thinking about that as it relates to us in our current day, something we can learn from, from this. So many of us wish desperately that we were in a, in a church where everyone would think the same of, as us politically and, and we would be all on the same page and head in the same direction. But you think about what Jesus was interacting with. I was listening to a, a message by Eric Geiger from Mariner's Church. He was pointing out how Simon the Zealot, Matthew the Publican would have hated each other because of their political stances. There's something about this that the political persuasions didn't really matter because Jesus was there to do what? He said, I'm here to start a new kingdom that where every tribe and nation will last forever, pursuing the hearts of Democrats and Republicans. He wants unity based on himself, not fighting over flawed systems. You think, I think about that sometimes, how silly we must sound where we get so excited about, oh, my flawed system is better than your flawed system. Jesus is like, no, I can offer something better. I'm pretty confident at the return of Jesus Christ, nobody's going to be singing songs about America. These kingdoms will disappear. That's what Jesus is pointing to. He's pointing to the fact that he's ushering in something new for us. Not that we shouldn't be politically involved and have opinions. As I've mentioned before, I definitely have that. But for us to consider keeping our eyes focused on the kingdom that will last, that's what Jesus pointed to, even in this intense moment when most would have been trying to talk their way out of a situation to protect their own lives. Look how the conversation continues, says, Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is, the tr- who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Sound familiar? After he had said this, He went back outside to the Jews and told them. So the crowd had gathered. I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. To me, this is the part that's really the most fascinating in the story. We've spent a lot of time looking at the life of Jesus Christ. And when I look back and reflect on the things that Jesus did, like, what did he do? He was super busy serving the poor, meeting needs, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, teaching people, spending time with people over meals. All of these things, I can't find anything in the gospel accounts worthy of this type of hatred. But instead, the people that he had healed, the people that he had fed 
were willing to do what? Trade him for whom? A robber. The, the accounts in, in, in Matthew uh, refers, to, refers to him as a notorious prisoner. Uh, Luke's account calls him a murderer. When we think about this, it's so easy for us to be like, what were they doing? Why would they be willing to trade this person for Jesus? Think about that and you try to personalize it present day. How often we expect to make similar trades. Where you're like, well, I'll be okay with Jesus as long as he does this. My question for you today is what demands do you have of God or what behavior do you expect in order for you to be okay with how he's navigating your life? For us, we're ready to cash in and be like, I'm done with God. He's abandoned me just because we don't like the route in which he's taken us instead of staying the course and saying, man, what, what does God have in this really bad day for me? I've had a hard time, I'll be honest, I've alluded to that in the last couple of weeks this, this past year, because my thinking always goes to, man, I just want to get past this. I want to get on the other side of this and back to normal. I think so often I'm missing God's intent. He leaves us in these really hard days, in these really hard times, because we're learning to trust. We're learning to walk with him through this. We're learning to understand how crazy he is about us, how extreme his love is for us. So what do we do with a text like this that's not exactly a, a lot of happiness and, and great moments in this section? I'll tell you what, but if you actually think about what's happening here, you're seeing the greatest demonstration of love that this world has ever known. The greatest demonstration, the greatest display that the God of the universe would come down, shed himself of all of his glory for the intent on a rescue mission to die on a cross for us at the hands of the creation that he's sustaining and giving life to, even in the moment in which they curse him and choose a robber over him. That should tell us anytime we're allowing some kind of question or doubt to sneak into our minds about whether or not we're loved or whether or not we matter or whether or not our life is significant. And if the God of the universe would do that for us, that changes our outlook on everything. So not only a change in outlook about the love of our God, but also understanding that he's empathetic. He's walked a mile in our shoes. He knows a thing or two because he's seen a thing or two. He's walked the mile with us. So you couldn't choose anyone better to lean into even in the most miserable of days. I'm so thankful for that reality. And as we go into the next couple of weeks leading up to Easter, the reminder of just the extreme love that we have through Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to look at your compassion demonstrated in sacrifice, demonstrated in the fact that you're willing to take the, the hits, the mockery, the abuse, the betrayal of friends, the crowd that denies you and would prefer a robber or a criminal over you. God, it's unbelievable to think of your willingness to do that for your creation. We're so thankful it's that that compels our worship, 
that that compels us and is motivated to share with others about the love that you have for us. We thank you again for this chance to be in your word. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.
Well, thanks again for being a part of this service. So fun to uh, be together. Fun for me to have my parents sitting in the the service here uh, today. And just a quick reminder uh, for you guys, this coming Saturday is our extravaganza event. I know Josh mentioned it in announcements, but just wanted to encourage you to think through who in your circle of influence you wanna get out there to be a part of it. Should be an amazing time. We have a gospel message planned for that as well. It's gonna be an amazing time to be together. God bless you. Have a great week.